What would you do if you received Dear John email from your biggest client making up over 60% of your revenue? This is exactly what Jonathan Alcock went through with his chatbot business, Comparisure. He received an email from his biggest client cancelling their contract out of the blue and had to quickly move to survival mode overnight. In this episode, Jonathan and I talk about client relationships, finding problems worth solving, and why the B2B business model isn't all it's cracked up to be. My name is Nick Haralambis, and I don't want to keep you waiting any longer. So remember, it's not over until it's over. Hey folks, Nick here, and I wanted to ask you to do me a small favor that will help me in a huge way. Please, right now, stop and go and subscribe to It's Not Over wherever you are listening, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, or YouTube. Then leave a rating and review and turn on notifications. Every subscriber and every rating helps me keep this podcast trucking along. Now, back to the Knowledge Bombs. Welcome back to It's Not Over. With me today is Jonathan Elcock. Jonathan, how are you? I'm well than you. Thanks for having me, Nick. I am good. It is an absolute pleasure. I think you're the first financial services company that has appeared on the show. I stand to be corrected by my audience. They can tell me in the comments, I suppose. So why don't you kick off by telling us who you are, what you do, and kind of why you do it? Okay, so um, my name is Jonathan Alcock, and I'm the founder and CEO of Compare, which is a financial services startup. I guess going back to sort of the, the story and studied actuarial science coming out of varsity and almost luckily in retrospect came out of varsity in the midst of a crisis and the 0809 crash and found myself at, at a startup insurer and then the rest of the journey has probably been very non a non-traditional and um, actual path yeah yeah Okay. Do you want to expand a little on that non-traditional <laughs> part? Yes. I mean, I joined uh, my, my first job. I joined a management-owned startup. And so very much as they were getting things off the ground. And I, I worked on holding the systems together. I'd done quite a lot of coding at school and I enjoyed that a lot. And the, the systems were built in, in Excel and to hold that together with different macros and the like. Got involved in, in everything as you do when you are involved in startups, but probably most significantly took over running a 60-seater call center. And, and that was at age 25. Being a traditionary, you, you're more the introverted type, but very quickly had, had that bubble burst and had to learn how to, to connect in the real world and how products are, are sold. I think... Within Axi, I think distribution makes up about two or three pages of, of the sort of entire set of studies, but it's 95% of what makes or breaks an insurer. Yeah, so yeah, that was that that was sort of the the non non traditional path. From there, went on to to start a corporate backed insurer on the back of a, a, a big short term brand to launch their a life product for them. Also got brought on and to play the role that the sort of actual product development and system development role. But for my sins ended up for the second time in my life running their their, their sales. And so distribution has really been my calling and, and getting involved in connecting with consumers and, and, and selling things. And yeah, I mean, in terms of in terms of that story and how I went from corporate startup to starting my own business, this opportunity was up in in, in Johannesburg. My wife's from 
uh, Uruguay in South America. And she half married me for me and I think the other half for, for Cape Town. And the day after our wedding, we, we moved over to Joburg's side. And I think we, we very much enjoyed Joburg. But when our first son arrived, it became a little bit more challenging without the sort of support structures. And two and a half, two and a half years in, there was a bit of an ultimatum. But I'd finally reached a point where there'd been uh, enough capital saved up to go and at least give it a shot and, uh, and and see if I could get get something up and running and off uh, off the ground. Yeah, so the timing was right, and that was in about uh, 2017, middle of 2017, that I launched Comparison. Amazing. Okay, so tell tell me then what Comparison does and how it makes some money. Yeah. So as, as with most startups, quite an evolve, evolving journey. And I think on the start of it, yeah, I mean, what sort of inspired it to begin with was a lot of the times as running sales, as I did in my prior role, and you'd know when the product that was being sold is the best for the consumer or not, but you'd obviously have to sell the product you have anyway. You wouldn't be a very good head of sales if you didn't. And so the sort of philosophy came on came from how do we get the best products for each person and how to improve access to products. So version one, as the name suggests, and Comparisure was comparing different options and to try to find the best product per person. I think as well, there was a desire to get better quality products to people, which is often a function of products that are underwritten, give you better value for money, but it's a very difficult process. How do we streamline that process and, and move the middle market up to top tier products. Yeah, so that's that's how, how things started in terms of how they evolved. What we I took a, a side bet on chatbots back in sort of 2018, started building a chatbot. We we used it at first to generate to engage with people and generate leads. 85% of the people that we were speaking to didn't qualify for the products that we were selling. And so we started to explore the lower end of the market products and funeral cover and cover that we could give to people for a third of what they traditionally am paying. And that's where we really hit, hit the right market fit. And so we were able to distribute products via chatbot. 85% of the sales that we are making are pure uh, digital engagement and reaching people that are, are not comfortable, as comfortable with using websites, but are very comfortable with texting because it's something that you know, all of us use in our day-to-day -day lives. So as the business stands, that's still our primary business and focus, but we've done quite a lot to help help financial institutions and other businesses to, to better adopt chat technology um, via platforms like Facebook and WhatsApp and, and a, local, a local group called Moya. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, probably quite similar to Mixit, a homegrown data-free uh, chat solution that feels like WhatsApp. But yeah, so those are sort of the, 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 the channels that, that, that we've seen success on. Okay. And how do you make money? The way that we make money, we, we work very similar. Our core business is, is like a broker, but a digital broker. And so we earn a commission when we sell policies and policies in SEP. So that's the standard model, but we also do quite a lot of white labeled solutions and build outs and for companies. So, so it's, yeah, 50% 
like dev type work and 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 50% selling distributing products digitally and being paid when we're successful. Okay, that's very clear. So give me some more context now on how the business is right now. How many people, if you can share whatever information you're willing to share to give us yes. some context on where the business is. And then let's swiftly move to the moment you thought your business was going to die. Okay, so yeah, where the business is currently at, we're around 20, 20 employed people. We've been through three rounds of, of VC funding. On the most part, yeah, try to protect equity as best uh, uh, as we possibly can. So not, not huge rounds. And the technology's come a really long way over the past five years. And through some of the partnerships that we've had, we've initiated conversations with close to 10 million South African numbers or users and, 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 and collected about 150, almost 150 million messages being processed. So really big volumes and starting to see quite a big movement over, over to chat across the board. And yeah, I think we're in a, we're in a, a, a relatively strong position as guys are waking up to the opportunities of using chat and and chatbots it's not without its drama but we've got good good healthy runway and and and, and good prospects for the for this the, the the sort of foreseeable future amazing okay that sounds really good so business started in 2017 yeah. and by 2018 you've kind of found product market fit and then when does the shit hit the fan almost the first breakthrough came by accident and I said that we, we, we moved from top-end products to the more mass market and funeral-related products. And we found a really good, a really good partner that, that gave us sort of the legroom to build out what we needed to, to build out and test and experiment and refine. And what happened internally, so they made up a very large proportion of our revenue. During COVID, we were lucky to get a few additional players on on board. But what happened was that within the sort of corporate movements, this division that we worked with got, got absorbed into another unit within the business. So the digital mandate fell away from them and then moved to move to a new unit. And within that unit, we didn't quite get to the same place in terms of in terms of gelling or finding the right fit. We had a really great operational relationship with them, but but a very, I don't know what to say, probably a hands-off um, management relationship where there weren't really frequent sort of check-ins. We were flying by, blind in terms of um, what, what was good or bad in terms of us pr producing what we needed to produce. And then, yeah, I, I, like, so we were, we were meeting the goals that we thought this business was looking to achieve. We grew sales 300% in, it was January at the time. And from the sort of weekly operational sessions that we are having, we are thoughting flip, we thought flip, everything's going great. We're doing a good job. And then mm. what came to us that appeared out of nowhere was the Dear John email to say, thanks, but you know, we've made the decision that, that we're no longer going to work with you guys. Good, good luck to you type thing. And, and suddenly, yeah, suddenly what had become a really big player within your story was now completely out of the picture. That familiar jingle lets you know that this is a short advert for those entrepreneurs listening. Do you feel guilty when you're at home with your family that you should be working? 
Do you also feel guilty when you're working that you should be at home with your family or out with your friends? I get it. It's tough to build something meaningful, but I don't believe that balance is something to strive for. I believe that work is part of life and life is part of work, and I wanna help you integrate the two more effectively. If you think you need a coach to help you find this integration, then contact me and let's work together. Visit www.nharry.com. That's www.nharry.com. And now, back to the knowledge bombs. I want to I want to interject here just so that I understand the setup of this corporate mm. partner or this corporate client. Were they paying you on a retainer basis? Were you earning commission from sales? What was the actual revenue impact on your business of this Dear John email? Yeah, so so I mean at that stage because of because of all the changes that were happening, it was there's not a not a straight answer, okay. but you know like it was the the it, it was more than 60% in, in the prior year. So we went from the one part partner, like did a lot of work to transition to the new partner. As, yeah, so it was a, a I really I see, there was also opportunity cost uh, attached to the part. revenue cost. Yes, exactly. Okay, and so then you, out of the blue, you get this Dear John email. This is probably not something that lots of founders answer very often, but what was the first thing you did after reading that email? Like what was going through your mind? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think you, like you almost don't, you, you almost don't believe it. I think it's probably those stages of, of grief that, that kick <laughs> yeah. in. And like the, the first, yeah, it's, it's almost surreal to begin with. And you want answers because there wasn't, I mean, first off, and first off, you'd almost want to call to go like, guys, let's talk. Let's yep. talk through this. Like it's like breaking up over SMS type thing or WhatsApp. Uh, in, in yeah, you're in the bargaining age. phase. And so, so that's I, I think that was the first thing to say. Like, like why, why this is uh, like why why are we also surprised that this has happened? Like, how did we get it so wrong that we we thought that we were mm. shooting the lights and 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 now getting getting this message coming through. And did you actually end up getting an answer from them ever? Yeah, so so we did we did have a chat a chat through it, and I think that, I mean the really important thing with this is a, I guess the setup in terms of, um, you know the different again like when you work with with big businesses, it's the 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 different objectives and different sort of pain points and strains. So I think a little bit of context in terms of how our business operates. So. So because 85% of our sales require no human intervention, we have a zero marginal cost of sale. So once someone's speaking to us, if they want to purchase a policy, you know, we let them purchase a policy. And that's, it's very different to like call center-based businesses or businesses that have agent networks where there are real costs that are being incurred in terms of human time, in terms of telephony and, and different setups. And so, so we're able to sell to people who would be excluded from traditional sales channels. And so within a call center or brokerage, there's usually some pre-profiling that will cut individuals from, from qualifying for cover. 
And this very much aligns with our mission. So our mission is to improve access to quality products. And it's also very much the definition of, of a disruptive strategy. You guys throw the word around, but like disruption starts uh, giving people who didn't give, get access uh, to, to, to quality products products for the first time. In SA, we've got great examples like Capitec who questioned the way that banking is done and reinvented it from scratch and said, of course, we can make money off someone by charging five rand a month or so. I don't know what it was when they began. Um, where everyone else said, like, no way, you're just going to lose off, off those clients. But on the other side, the marginal cost of servicing clients was not zero. The insurer has to do a lot of processing of policy admin. If people miss premiums, their calls that need to be made, there's the claim side of things. And while we we can, in theory, automate 85% of customer queries, which is, we, we can see because it's the same activity activities that people ask in the quoting process, which is moving payment dates, adding removing members, altering the policy, the legacy systems on the insurer side couldn't, can't handle, or it's very difficult to find systems that can handle input coming from a system and not a human. And until you resolve having more policies can put a strain on your operations and profits. So that's, that's essentially, while we were shooting, in our minds, shooting the lights out in terms of sales volumes, that was putting a lot of strain on on their systems and operations and ability to to service those clients. That is quite a wild reason for you to hear mm -hmm. for your client cancelling a contract. Basically, if I'm understanding this correctly, you're doing too well, so please stop. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think again, like it's it, it's probably in certain terms to be fair to them. Like you're doing well on your side and your metrics. We're not. We're not doing so well when you pass this uh, this this over to our side. I think though, like like so that's again empathizing with with their reasons. But I think on the other side of it, that's exactly you, when you when you're looking to solve problems in business, what you're really looking to do is find problems worth solving. So that's sort of my in my view of what like an entrepreneur does. Anyone, not anyone can solve problems, but there are a lot of smart people that can solve really difficult problems that add very little value. Puzzles are a good example. Like you can obsess about a puzzle. It it's, might never, ever impact someone's life. So solving problems is one thing. Finding problems worth solving is another. And there is fundamentally a view that flip, guys, we've solved, we've, we've found a problem that's worth solving here. And if someone wants the product, and they're, they're, they're causing operational strain. This is where your engineers should be jumping in. And that's like the de definition of, um, of FinTech, like getting guys to use technology to, 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 to solve for strain and that, that type of thing. But again, I think it goes back to the fact that like, unless there's a really strong relationship with management, at the first time, at the first opportunity where things are not going to plan, there's not like an obsession on how do we make this work? It's sort of like, okay, this is negatively impacting my KPIs, for example, and I'm, I'm not going to, I might not get my, my bonus at the end of the year. And um, this is the, the simpler option to take. 
Yeah, there's there's so much interesting nuance there that I think is worth highlighting. My next question was going to be, why weren't you aware of the problem that the the client of yours was facing? And I think it has a lot to do with the department changing hands, the management not ex- explaining to you what their KPIs were. But the deeper, more real problem for me that you and many other entrepreneurs seem to be facing in this particular situation is your KPIs weren't aligned. You had a specific goal, which was get them more leads. They had a specific goal of close more sales. And those two things weren't necessarily aligned as cheap as possible. So there is a lot of layering here that wasn't unpacked in an open way. If that's, if I'm like, if I'm getting the situation right, because the management changed hands or the department was all disrupted, they weren't saying to you, hold the phone. This isn't working anymore for us. Yeah. I mean, you, you're completely on the money there. And I, like, I think that. Often the, the human dynamics and and the corporate dynamics um, at, at play that are that are complicated because if you look at the problem and there's an alignment in thinking, then you say a problem's not a problem. I think what really got to me the most and, and our business the most was that like we'd put this huge effort to make this thing work on on a in a different department and we have so many levers that we were able to pull to rectify the situation but because there was never a discussion and the first option was just okay we've we've thought about this and we we planning to end the relationship so for example like a very obvious one is to say well instead of stopping stuff if you've got operational strain step one let's just reduce the volumes that's Something that we can just takes us will take us ten minutes to reduce budgets and let's understand what an operational volume that you can handle is. The second thing is to say, like, flip guys, can we help you with some of these operational problems that you guys are facing? Because that's our business. We automate engagements and if guys are using the phone and getting completely bogged down and like like we should let's over a certain time and um, work towards building an automated but to go down those paths you'd really you really need to want to solve the problem and i think that like there were definitely relationship challenges along the way that brought the business to a point where this decision was made that sit outside of the numbers or or the the sort of surface level um, reasoning and and so that that is something that I'm also happy to to touch on, which is the difference the, the, the difference between corporates and startup in both their decision making processes and 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 the actions that are taken in the mm. least accusatory but most pointed way in hindsight. Do you think you should have reacted differently when you saw that their department was being turned over to build bridges, to get to know the management? I mean, a client yeah. that's 60% of your revenue, being a bit standoffish with them maybe was the problem? Like maybe they didn't feel connected to you guys emotionally? No, I, certainly. And and what had actually happened was that there, there was a transition over. So like there was a period that we were working with both at the same time, the two, like the two divisions, and then, and then it, it, it merged into one. I think there's quite a lot that when you look back and you go, how could I have done things differently? And and this this speaks to the decision-making process. 
there, there are sometimes fundamental differences that you obsess about the problem, but in reality, it's it's just a catch-22. Like there's there's no real solution because of the natural friction that was occurring. So I think like like to touch on to touch on some of the main factors and influences when you launch a startup business and a VC invests in you, they expect big revenue growth. I mean. Almost, almost at a like guys are like a good growth rate is 15% per month, which doesn't sound extreme until that becomes like that's 500% growth per year. So you are constantly, constantly pushed to make calls that deliver on those growth and revenue metrics. And when, like, when these decisions need to be, when decisions are being made within a startup. Like you always like, okay, I need to take action. I need X to happen. And I'm working on these very, very short timelines relative to relative to corporate timelines. We like we, we, we had cases where we've had corporates come to us and say, we don't want to grow our revenue more than 15% a year because then next year we're going to be put under pressure by finance to hit the goals. And we're not sure whether we will be able to maintain that. So, so you're living you're living in very different spaces. I think then obviously the other side of it is that as a as a founder, your your house is literally on the line. You've got to, you've got staff relying on you, and you've got to keep the story going so that someone else is going to put money behind you. Where when when you are in a in a salaried role, it's you're in a position where Change is naturally and understandably more risky than continuing doing what's being done. I mean, with, with, within, I mean, I'm not negative towards corporates. I hope that one day um, I can call myself a corporate because that means that you've taken a startup through the, the, the journey to maturity. But, but yeah, like in, within the corporate space, like you've got... You, you you're generating money you're generating profit and the, the like things have been so refined in in corporate over the years and years and years that sort of nine times out of ten when you change something you break something and when you break something you you you're moving backwards versus in startup where like everything's broken and every change you make produces a really big result and yeah so I think that yeah, so, so what was happening was from our side, we were pushing, like, and pushing and pushing and pushing. And that was causing a, 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 a friction that maybe we didn't realize or didn't know how to manage the, 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 the differences in goal. And I think that to a degree was also why it felt like the management in this business were becoming more and more removed from us, was that it was actually... Yeah, it was un- unpleasant to to handle this demanding little startup that moves from you know, being fun and exciting to like this is actually a, a, a potential pain in my side. This is doing more harm than than good to me. Yeah, this and there's something that you've so beautifully illustrated here that I haven't really put in this context before, but breaking the status quo is an uncomfortable thing to avoid for a corporate, but it is the norm for a startup. 
every day you're existing in a position where you aren't doing something that you did yesterday or that the world had previously. So that's what I was referring to earlier about that misalignment of KPIs is the corporate manager wants to hit his targets, which are 10% and then get his bonus and then do 10% next year. You're saying to him, but holy shit, dude, you can do 20% tomorrow. Let's do this. And then the second and third order effects of what you do screw up his budgets and his team's budgets and his team's resources and everything becomes disrupted. So moving forward now, when you got this email, how contractually quick did this come to an end? Like when did the 60% of your revenue disappear? Yeah, so so like what had what had happened leading leading up to the transition so there was already a trans, a bit of a transition to another provider so in the previous year it was more, more than 60% and and it was getting more to sort of the 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 even level so it was more than 60% when we had both and and, and another and and another product but to to speak about the contract and and again so what had happened was that we we engaged on on a pilot, basically contract with a new provider or party. The length of the pilot was six months, and we after those six months we pushed in a big way to get like a new contract created. It was very unresponsive in terms of like putting a new contract in place. And then when they actually ended up canceling canceling the relationship, they looked backwards and said, "Yeah, that pilot that." You know, is now four we four months, probably three or four months down the line. We're not we're not gonna continue. So I mean they they were like stop selling immediately, which was again like like cheap as we've taken all this time to move over. We haven't we haven't charged for like the move over. We've like re like reshifted our whole business. There's just so much work that's gone in and to to service this new division. And like, and, and now it's just like in a heartbeat, it's over. So, yeah. So it was, it, it was overnight. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and what's really interesting for me is B2B is very favorable as a business model right now over B2C. For those of my listeners who aren't aware, business to consumer is selling something, an app for $2 to a consumer, whereas B2B is business to business. You're selling a big product to a big company and they pay you big money. The retainers are amazing, but this is actually the flip side of the B2B is you are completely at the will of this big corporates. You are outgunned, you're outmanned, you're outfunded. So ultimately, regardless of what the contract says, what are you gonna do? Like you can't sue this big corporate and you never will. And they know that. And they've got 10 legal people to every one legal person you could hire. So you are kind of stuck. And when they, they pull the trigger, it's done. So what, what did you do the next day? Like what was the conversation like with your team once you knew that this was over and you've had the conversation, there's no going back, what happens next? Yeah, so I mean, I'll, I'll talk about the, the, the next day which was this had happened I think late on a Friday and and you as you say like you you you're in that sort of early the denial stage you, you, like yeah from from my perspective and I, I've done work with this with the broader business for in almost all of their divisions and for for six years leading up to that point so there was a lot of emotion attached to the decision personally and yeah I, I, I think spending the time, to actually understand like what what is 
like what what does this mean for me what does this mean in the greater in the greater scheme of things like it's yeah it's it's not you, it, it's almost like when you have a death in the family or the loss of a love a loved one or getting divorced or something it takes a lot of a lot of time to process it it's not like there's an there's an instant conclusion so i think that was that was the one side i, I think just touching on the point that you you just mentioned in terms of the the power dynamics when you start a new business like as much as you'd like to say like i can you can't really choose your partners like there's a handful of these big businesses and you are completely at their mercy so even when you even when there are unhealthy dynamics and i think that probably what was missing from the relationship was respect from both sides like a respect for the other person's business and their um and their position you have to continue like continue in any event because flip that that's why you're getting investment and it's what's paying the bills so yeah so so I, like that sort of speaks to the point of like e- even with contracting and working and um, with these corporates like you 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 can't enforce your contract terms because you're completely at their um at their mercy um so yeah so i think i think like you go the the weekends past where you just like flip is this it like i've i've put in all this time and effort and energy and of risk and like family and whatever else and you caught myself staring into space and not really being able to put like a specific emotion towards the situation and being blank i think after like getting getting back into the the office it was straight into war mode and and not war with the corporate but in terms of like guys we need to survive so i think that in in a weird way and it's probably probably not unique in the entrepreneurial space i really really love the pressure i like when someone also you've you've got this like i want to prove you wrong type thing and like i like i want to like i want to show like show res- resilience and strength in this in this situation that you're really unhappy about and 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 yeah so it, it was a very familiar position to be in i think with this with this situation there was a little bit of extra emotion attached to it but we we've we'd we'd luckily as a team already been through like quite a few of these moments like the earlier on in your journey the more frequent these these occur this was a position where it was like okay flip things are going well like all our partners are seeing good growth and things are looking stable and and there's a massive setback but the team were ready to jump into action so very very fortunate a team that also were in the same headspace of like when a challenge hits the team really unites and and and, and comes alive and i mean the main thing that we we obviously needed to do was to figure out how with the existing partners we we don't lose sales and we make up the lost revenue and we are very lucky with the partners with the other partners that we had in terms of having a much much closer relationship and being much more on the same page in terms of setting out and and and, and making what needs needed to happen happen so that 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 to a large extent like channeling and focusing 
the negative emotions, probably into a state of using the anger to, to produce the results that we needed to produce to survive as a business. Yeah, it's one of one of my favorite revenge quotes is the best revenge is to live well. And it sounds like that's kind of what you were saying to your team is that's cool. Let's just prove them wrong and build, build a better business. So did, did this particular experience with a client fundamentally change your internal client processes and how you deal with clients, how you engage with them, how you get closer to them and how you entrench yourselves? Like what did you really learn from this as a startup working with big clients? Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's, it's really because the situations are so unique like it, it we, we we had a different relationship to begin with with the other clients and so but but i i, I think yeah so i think in retrospect like if if you do if you do have the privilege of being able to select clients that really gel with your vision and your views like be be very careful with who like who you partner with and spending the time up front to to be on the same page like i think to the extreme when you're hiring people there's there's so much literature on hiring the right cultural fit and choosing choosing people that fit fit with your business and that are going to like go through the ups and downs with you that are going to going to enjoy startup etc but less so it's actually exactly the same process when you deal with corporates like you always going to have a like a corporate gatekeeper the person that makes the decision about the relationship the fight or whatever and is going to be fighting for you on the other side and if you don't if you don't see eye to eye with that with that person then then it probably is better to just say look this is money and we're chasing after money to survive here but keep uh, keep looking find like find the right hire find the right the right gatekeeper yeah so i think that's that's probably and and then yeah i I mean investing investing time in that relationship as i said we had a we had a great operational relationship but it wasn't the, the, the person that we were dealing with wasn't the decision maker. The decisions were happening outside. And I almost think that if that person was the decision maker, we'd still be going today and we would have achieved good good things or amazing things together. But it but it just it just wasn't it wasn't the case. So knowing who the person is and investing in that relationship, I think as well managing the different dynamics. So I, I am the urgent entrepreneur. When things aren't, when we're not meeting goals, I'm usually quite aggressive in terms of pushing for what's required. My business partner, Matt, is much more diplomatic. And there are times that I need to step into the picture and add a bit of fire and, and, and push. And there are times where I just need to step back and some a, a diplomat needs to handle the situation will better handle the situation i think if, if i was the only relationship manager in the in the business we wouldn't have relationships because that's in in my personality so getting like getting the right i don't know good cop bad cop or getting the right mix of when to be diplomatic and i think we balance each out, each other out really well and um, yeah I think in that point, you've highlighted one of the core paradoxes of startups in the early years. It's 
get money in right now versus get the right money in. It's hire people right now versus hire the right people. It's the key trade-off in these early years. And the experienced startup founders understand that you take the short-term hit for the long-term value. But you only realize that in the near-death experiences. You only learn that once you have come too close to the sun. That is the nature of the things that we build, right? I think the last question I want to ask you, it's something we haven't touched on at all before we close off and you tell everybody where they can go and find amazing financial products from you, is throughout all of this, how did this affect your personal life, your mental health, your relationships? What was it like from you as a human being going through this insane trauma? So I think one thing that we that, that we haven't quite touched on was just the, the investment side of things, which, which and so, so like, I mean, startups burn money and they have to show that revenue grows. Investors are usually quite forgiving. If you've got revenue growth, you don't need to be profitable. They expect to, to, to burn money. And, 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 and in the whole mix of things, like going back to investors and getting them on the same page in terms of like, guys, things are going to be like, like we actually, in terms of how we hustled things, we actually were able to 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 stabilize revenue so we didn't go backwards heavily from a revenue perspective but we didn't grow revenue to the expectations and and by losing by losing a key partner it meant that investors were suddenly had questions about the business so i think there was quite a lot there was quite a lot there in terms of yeah i i think investors they're, they're made in terms of the support that that they're able to give you so like we had a we had an additional tranche of investment that we almost took for granted, and suddenly now this this got brought into question. In the end of it, the the guys stood by us and 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 did unlock the tranche and the growth that we'd found in the period. So there was three months flat, and we actually unlocked a, a very big source of um, revenue growth and and raised funding outside of the tranche that they'd opened up. So we didn't need it at the end of the day. I know I haven't really answered the the, the the sort of personal question there, but I I think in a broader sense, from a personal perspective, um, with with being a, a startup founder, it's very glamorous, and um, from an outsider's perspective, and and even before the session, saying that like opening up about this stuff is really hard because there are a lot of people that are going to have different takes on this and say no, this isn't how this happened and. Um, like investors looking at things, different different stories towards the, the, the problem. But like, I think that when you're really in it, like there's this massive, like what you really don't want after pouring your heart and soul into something for as long as you do is to wake up one morning and be like, it is over. Um, because that, like you, you, you become as romantic about your business as you are about your wife and your family and your kids and and it like it means it means so much to you and i think that like figuring out and that's become a really important part for me looking forward within my business and is figuring out like where's the like where's the the stopper at like where's the where's the low point at can i make sure that if worse comes to worse I still will wake up to having a business tomorrow, um, and and can I reduce 
like risks by doing things like when you when you're going for it as a as a founder and you're just chasing revenue you're thinking less about diversifying and more about like hitting your targets and i think that all in all you 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 mentioned that like experienced founders you you get to a point where you're a little bit more patient and you better at putting things into perspective and knowing that like it's not all like all or nothing and so so i think it's not it's not it's not as binary as it sometimes seems so i i i think from my perspective like now like when these things happen the response probably is less less emotional and more like let me like i'm still waking up today i'm if there's money in the account like that can pay off the salaries of the people that i love to work with that's something to appreciate and and are the actions that i'm taking on a day to day are those putting me in a stronger position so that i'm not going to lose lose what i love and what i love doing and 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 i think you would have had the experience as well like the your your lowest point is actually often much higher than you than you expect like you you have to you the, the like the worst 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 case scenario you're back to where you began you know and 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 it's really really difficult like because you've had this experience and you've got now you like you know how to do things differently you've got people that you didn't know before you understand systems better you've got all these assets that you've built so it's it's actually impossible to get back to that point where you have nothing again and that actually has brought like a a a a lot more confidence um and comfort maybe rather in in saying like look i'm i'm prepared to go back to where i started if i have to and i know that like that is one in a million that i'll go back to where i started and in that respect you've got less to lose than than you really think like like you'll always have that if you're living another day and you're healthy and um, you can start from scratch and not be fearful of of doing so yep that is a very balanced and pragmatic way of looking at it and i do love the statement that it's it's virtually impossible to go back to where you started as an entrepreneur after you failed i like to tell people that failure is not fatal and if it is you have done it wrong because there's always something that you gain at the end of a failure which i think is a fantastic place for us to end so in closing please tell our listeners where they can find you follow you buy from you work for you whatever you need to push now is your moment so please go ahead <laughs> yeah so i mean i think probably uh, you you can visit comparison.co.za and and but i mean the main way to connect is probably via linkedin our, our business is really focused on on getting people to communicate in an, in in via modern technology we see that email and web and even apps are on on their way probably not out but chat is going to be the future of, of of commerce and and yeah so for people that are especially in the financial services side that want to look at innovating in their communication strategies and be it from a distribution point of view be it from a customer service point of view yeah you you can connect with with me directly or you can visit our website and it's pretty simple to find us and um yeah looking looking forward to 
building some good relationships with people that see the picture in the same way as I do. This has been so interesting for me and I'm sure for all of our listeners. And I'm most excited to say that for you and Comparisha, it's not over. Thank you, Nick.